want to just uh, just sort of, as it were, jump into the Word of God and just talk about Jesus. He's my favorite subject, really. I don't just say that uh, just to, as it were, be cute, but he is my favorite subject. Uh, getting to know Jesus is... This is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And um, the more I know him, the more I want to know him. So let's look at Romans chapter 10. That is my subject for today. And I would like to, I'm supposed to start at verse 4. Wednesday evening, I, I got to um, three verses in Romans. But I, let's try to get to more than that today. Uh, and uh, so we're going to, but I'm going to start in verse four, but not really. I'm going back to verse one to give you some context, all right? Uh, what did we learn? Context determines what? Meaning, meaning right? It determines meaning. So let's look at uh, verse one, Romans 10, verse one. Uh, Paul writes, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved powerful statement. For I bear them record that they have zeal, a zeal for God. In other words, they're very fervent for God. They're very passionate for God. He says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I mean, and what, what a, a tragedy that they, not understanding God's righteousness, have jumped into a place where they have now created their own righteousness. They've not submitted to the righteousness of God because being ignorant of God's righteousness, they establish their own. Let's look at, and when we talk about ignorant, we're just talking about not having an understanding of it or being mistaken about God's righteousness. That's what we mean by ignorant of God's righteousness. So let's look at verse 4. It brings it into full view. Verse 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so that means that the, the, the law, as Paul says, and we'll perhaps uh, recite it again, is our tutor to bring us to Christ. So, and also Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes in that when you believe in Jesus, there's another thing that happens to you. You and I, we, we enter another, as it were, realm, the realm of grace realm of grace. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 and 18, uh, Jesus <clears throat> was actually accused by the Pharisees of wanting to change everything. You know, people who are stuck in a rut or stuck in the mud always want to complain about people who want to bring change. And so in Matthew 5 verse 17, he says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to, to bring it to completion. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Amen. And then again in Galatians chapter 3 verses 22 
22 through 25. Then Paul, we, we have other scriptural witnesses where Paul says, but the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now let me read that again because we, we must understand the law uh, uh, and we must understand grace. When you are legalistic, you're mostly thinking about law. When you, when, uh, you want somebody's uh, clothing, you're always uh, uh, harping on somebody's clothing. I remember as a young teenager, my dad, who was a pastor, said, because in those days, pastors preached about the mini skirt more than they did about Jesus, it seemed. And uh, they were always talking about the mini skirt, and the mini skirt, and the mini skirt. And some of those brothers had on pants that were too tight. But they still didn't look at that. They were always talking about the many. And my dad said to me one day, not in reference to any particular person, he just said that, that, that uh, when God gets the heart, we need to preach so that we can touch men's hearts or women's hearts. Because when God gets the heart, he gets the hemline. And he says, you don't have to always talk about money and money and money. <clears throat> he was just talking to me as though... As though he knew I was going to preach the gospel. He knew more than I did. But, uh, and he said, and never always talk about the pocketbook. When God gets the heart, he gets the pocketbook. Yeah. And so those things are real to me today. So that means if I'm stingy here, if I'm a stingy believer, God hasn't really gotten full control of my heart yet. He hasn't, he has, just hasn't, you know. And if I am wearing things that I should not wear, then God hasn't gotten a heart. Because there's a communication between the voice of God and the heart of man. He says, but the scripture, now listen, has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Yeah, kept under guard. My mind is, is goes, I can just see the law, you know, having the, the rifle, they're saying, sit down, yeah. stop that. Yeah. You know, we were kept under guard um, um, by the law. Kept, what? For the faith which would afterward be revealed. So we were kept, the law kept us in check till faith came. And that is faith in Jesus Christ. The best day of your life was the day that you ex, ex, uh, expressed faith in Jesus Christ. You recognized what God had done for you in Jesus Christ. That was the best day of your life. So Paul concludes in verse 24 here in Galatians 3. He says, therefore... Now, when he says, therefore, he's saying, because of what I've just stated, he said, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So, when we think about um, the, the old covenant and Abraham, it was always about faith. We didn't always see that, but it was always about faith. Because what does the scripture say about Abraham? Abraham believed God. Yeah. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed God. So Abraham had faith that what God told him was the way it was. And so now he says the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. I think the law... Um, uh, helped us in so many uh, different ways. It helped us. It's sort of like today, if I'm d d driving 55 in a 35 and I see the lights and the siren, I know one thing. Uh, first thing I do is look at my speedometer. 
Well, I haven't done that in many, many, many years, decades, decades, just, in, just so you'll know. But I, looked, I, I would look at my speed armor to my odometer and go, my speed armor and go, oh my goodness, I'm guilty. But I couldn't do anything about it because sooner or later, I would speed again. Yeah. And sometimes we knew we were speeding, but we were just watching. And some of us even bought little, a little mechanism to warn us about the radar. <laughs> It's a good example to show you what the law does. The law makes you conscious that you're doing something wrong. And so here, it was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified or declared righteous by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Paul says that so well, so beautifully. We're no longer under a tutor. So our lives are now to be lived by, uh, by exercising faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 11, verse 32, if you'll turn there with me or put that on the screen. Romans 11, verse 32 says, for God has committed them all to disobedience obedience that he might have mercy on all. So God's desire in, uh, to, for all of us is to have mercy on everybody. And the way he did that, he, he declared the whole human race was under disobedience. The whole human race was guilty. Wow. This is, such, this is so amazing. So one guilty person can't look at another guilty person and say, you're guilty as though they're not. And that's where we've all been. One of the things, too, that we must exercise this amazing patience with all believers and unbelievers. We, we need to exercise patience because we are all cut from the same cloth. So let's take another look at what Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 7. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. He says, he's talking about the Lord. Now, remember, he wants Israel to be saved. I want you to be saved. You say, well, I am saved, but I want you to be saved in this context, that you are now doing whatever God wants you to do, that you don't live life doing partially what God wants you to do, and the other part is what you want to do, but you are given totally to the Lord. That's what God wants. Now, I... I I didn't choose to teach in Romans, but I, uh, the Lord told me to do that. And, and now I understand more fully why he did. We are going to need these truths as we go forward like we have never uh, needed them. We're going to need them. We're going to know, uh, need to know the difference between God's righteousness and our own righteousness. Because our righteousness cannot get us to heaven. Only God's righteousness does. So Paul says in, amen, amen. Paul says in verse 1, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Don't you know that? The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So maybe there are people who would hear me today and say, well, that's why I believe in that law. You know? No, but, but that's not the case for you and me. Listen, so Paul gives this uh, uh, wonderful example. It says, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. 
And, and as I've told you before, that was a tough example for me, but I finally got it after reading it over maybe a thousand times. It says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. I was anticipating another response in there, but he says, no, you have, therefore, as a result of what I've just said, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. So what God did was he didn't take, as it were, our husband into death. He took us into death. He took each of us into death. And so we died to against what we were held by. So that's, that's the, the beauty of God. It's amazing. So what he did was when you and I exercised faith in Jesus Christ, God then placed us in Christ. And when Christ was hanging on that cross, he was dying for the sin of the world. And I said, I believe. I was in Christ. So he was dying. Because when I believed, I showed that Christ then died for me as me. So that he, not just for you, but for you as you. So in the mind of God, that is you. Because Christ died for and as you. And so he took us into death. That is so, so amazing. So he says, he did that. We have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you and I may be married to another. The wisdom is just so otherworldly. So you and I must stop thinking as mere men and women, just mere, just soulish people. No, that, that sinner and I don't, don't really have a real strong commonality when it comes to salvation. It doesn't, we don't. We're, okay, we're both people, but we don't really have any connection basically other than those natural things. Because when it comes to salvation, we are the antithesis of each other. Listen, he says, so that you and I could be married to another. Oh, that's amazing. So God took us into death, taking us out of the realm that we were born in so that we could now be married to another. To whom? To him who was raised from the dead, to Jesus Christ. Why? That we should bear fruit to God. Now, notice how Paul uses the marriage analogy. And I've... I've ask questions. I, I ask questions. I don't know about you, but I ask questions when I'm reading something, especially the Word of God. I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading. I'm, I'm talking to myself. What is that? that? You know, that doesn't make too much sense to me, Lord. What was this guy Paul saying? God, wow, what am I not getting? You know, I talk like that. So he says that you and I might bear fruit to God because we were bearing fruit to death before. But now that we are in union with Jesus, we can bear fruit. Everything that we do should be to bear fruit to God. Amen. This is so amazing, so beautiful. Now, let's, if you got the fact that we are bearing fruit to God, so that means, let me elaborate just a little bit more, that every act should be geared toward, moving us toward, doing something that has eternal, uh, like, ramifications, uh, you know, bringing about something eternal. So, the, the fruit that we bear now is eternal fruit. Even the, the joy, the peace, the, all of those things, uh, or bringing somebody to Christ, bearing fruit to God. So he called us to be married to another that we might be productive, that we might be productive. There's no such thing as a real pew warmer at church, you know, or bench warmer, as we should say. No, we all are, are brought forth to bring f fruit 
to God eternal fruit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4 verse 5. Galatians 4 5. It says uh, t- that God has basically redeemed us. Let's read f- uh, 4. Galatians 4 4 and, then, and 5. 4 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time had come the fullness of the time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Very, 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 very important. Fulfillment of scripture in Genesis. Born of a woman. That means that man had nothing to do with it. There's no rotten seed in Christ. That, that's what this is about. He wants you to know that, that Christ does not have, he's not in, uh, uh, in the sin realm. He wasn't brought forth by a sinful person. He was the woman, the womb of the woman. Now listen, born of a woman, one. Two, born under the law. Born under the law. Continue. To redeem those who were under the law. If he had not been born under the law, he could not redeem us. So he bought us, purchased us, uh, those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so now, it's so important because I believe that the vast majority of Christians have not understood the difference between being born of the Spirit and adoption. Because we talk of, uh, of salvation often times as though it was just an adoptive process. It was not only ad- an adoptive process. So if, I, if I'm adopted, that means I can, in some manner of speaking, be kicked out of the family. In some manner of speaking, I know you can go to the Roman law and then uh, other laws and all that, but that doesn't hold water here. You could be pushed away. But if I'm born of that person, with that person's DNA, no, no, no matter how you try, no matter how angry my, my uh, dad would be with me or my mom would be with me, they could not unsun me. It's an impossibility. They could not do that. Neither can you be un, as it were, I made up that word, right? Unsunned or undaughtered, <laughs> but you cannot be unsunned. It can never say, uh, I had nothing to do with you. They cannot do that. No, because because when they came together, I came forth as a result of something bigger than me, other than me. That's why I love what David Robinson said to Jane, Jane Pauley when she was this number amazing news lady and she was interviewing David. I know I've told you this umpteen hundred times, but it's so beautiful. David, how tall are you? Seven, whatever. And he said, how tall is your dad? Six, three. How does it feel to be bigger than your dad? Oh, Jane, no matter how tall you are, you're never bigger than your dad. (laughs) You can't be bigger and greater than that which brought you forth. But you can be like that which brought you forth. And so for all believers, we can get our theology right when we know that we have been born of God. We are adopted as well, but we are adopted that we might enjoy full benefits right now. Amen. You got it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. It says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. So Moses writes about the the righteousness which is of the law. See, there's a different righteousness when you talk about legalism and the law. Notice, I like the one by faith. I don't want the legalistic thing. Now listen, the man who does those things shall live by them. Wow. Okay. Mm. Wow. 
Leviticus 18.5 is, is where uh, Paul gets that. In, in Leviticus 18.5 says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. What he's saying is, and, and James tells us something else about it. The, the book of James tells us something else about it. Because the law is unyielding. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Do everything this law says. Or you're guilty. So it's just amazing. So if, if I keep the law, you keep the law 99.9% of the time. And you, you, you make that little tiny, tiny slip up. You're guilty of breaking the whole thing. Yeah, that's right. So in a manner of speaking, the law said, you, you were thinking, oh, like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. Who, who will deliver me from this body of death? I need some deliverance. And so the law is unyielding. The law is unyielding. James in James chapter 2, verse 10, James says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. See, we, we need faith in Jesus. That, that God sending Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah. That little, little chorus, uh, that little chorus, uh, falling in love with Jesus. Yeah. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. I love that little chorus because it says it right for all humanity. Jesus is your deliverer. Yeah. Jesus is your life now. Yeah. You couldn't do what Jesus did. Jesus never stumbled in one iota of the law. Only being, only person who has ever fully kept the law. And now, and his death was an efficacious death for all of us. It brought us from under the dominion of the law. And his resurrection then God placed us in him because of faith, because we believe. Let's look at verse 6. Verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Now, let me read verse 5 again because I need to give you the full context. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. You know, Christ has already come down and Christ has already been raised. But what does it say? This is what it says. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith, trusting God, the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what he says. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I want to say this, because it's so, it's fresh in my mind. A number of years ago, as a very young pastor, very, very young, first couple of years, I was still struggling with what I'd been taught as a child growing up. That if I wore an afro, I could go to hell for that. That was my natural hair in those days. 
Now, I'm glad I wore one for a while because I can't wear one now. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> but you would go to hell for that. You could go to hell for wearing lipstick. You could go to hell for wearing pants. Yeah. And the pants were less revealing than the skirts. Yeah. But you could go to hell for those things. You could go to hell in some, some camps for basketball or football. You could go to hell for baseball. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm not into that. Yeah. I'm so glad. And so I was reading the scriptures, and I've told you this many times. And one day I was just so bothered because I knew if Don Lavelle can mess up salvation, if salvation can be messed up, Don Lavelle could do it. He could, he'd be numero uno. And so I was just bothered by it. And I heard the voice of God. He said, I'm going to get you to the throne. I was so relieved. I knew God had spoken to me. I knew that what, those were not my words. And then he further elaborated. He said, he showed me the scripture, just, just powerfully showed me the scripture, Hebrews 5, 9, that, that uh, Jesus Christ had become the author of eternal salvation to all, all who obeyed him. And I said, oh, my God. And then I began to see all through the scriptures that when Jesus saves you, he saves you. Yeah. You see, because it's not just a verbal thing that he does. There's some real things that happen. The Spirit of God has to enter your heart. And then there's that intimate relationship that God has entered your heart. And then God takes you and places you in his son, in the Christ sphere, as I like to call it. He places you in him and he is in you. There's an intimate relationship. He can never say, I never knew you. He can never say it. There's an, what, is there impossible? Yes. There's something impossible for God. He can never say, I never knew you. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Even when you and I are faithless, we're not going to hell for being faithless. If that were the case, everybody who was saved would go to hell because every one of us has been faithless. But when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's why, that's why you can abandon God in your teenage years, in your early adulthood. But then when you, as my dad would say, when you, when you have some sense... <laughs> When you come to yourself, as the prodigal did in the hog pen, when you come to yourself and you say, you say something like this, I will arise and go to my father. Yes. I thought you didn't want your daddy. I want him now. I've learned some senses, my dad would say. Why? And so that's why. So the story is not over. And there are, there's, there are people who think, well, Don Lavelle is teaching once saved always. I've never said those words, but I do teach what the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation. He doesn't have, if salvation is a tease, it shouldn't be called salvation if it, I can just have it for a little while. I don't need salvation just for a little while. I need it for all eternity. And Jesus saves us eternally. We are eternally blessed. Amen. Amen. So let me, let me conclude here. In, in Romans 10, verses 11 through 13, in Romans 10, he says, for the scripture says, and when the Bible says it is written or the scripture says, it means that that's it. <laughs> that means it cannot be reversed, right? It, it cannot be nullified. 
So he says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Do I have anybody here who's believed on the Lord? Raise your hand if you're believing on the Lord. Come on, shame the devil. Amen. In Jesus' name. Oh, there's a second. He says, you will not be put to shame. You will never be embarrassed. You will never, ever be disappointed. That's what that means. You will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all. He is rich to what? All who call upon him. <laughs> For, he's not done. For whoever, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord might be saved, shall be saved, shall be saved. That's the gospel truth. Anything else is man-made. Yes. Let me go. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the goodness of your heart that has been given to us. I ask that if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, that they would say today, I'm coming to Jesus. I'm coming to my dad, my father. My father, God, I'm coming. And I won't be delayed. I won't be denied. I pray that that somebody, whether here in this sanctuary or online, will come to Jesus. And as we like to say in South Texas, para siempre. Para siempre. Y por los siglos a los siglos. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. I'll be back in just a moment. Our sister Vanessa is going to be leading us in a little uh, worship, and then I'll come right back. I want you to make up your mind. I want you to, to, if you're not saved today, come to Jesus today. And if you're not sure, come to Jesus today, and you can be sure. I'll be back in a moment.